Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We wanted to open up a dialogue and talk with some of the listeners a little bit and just see what you guys have to say. We have a voicemail line. It is at 413-FOSTER-3. That's 413-367-8373. Now, we would love to be able to share some of your stories. If you have a couple quick stories you want to put on the air, or if it's something you'd just like to talk to us a little bit and let us know what you're hearing and what you would like to hear. That would be awesome. We would love to have that from you guys. So if you would reach out and let us know. Also, I'm going to uh, just assume that you guys know that we are talking about putting some of these stories on the air. So if there's some privacy issues, feel free to change a name. Don't use a name. I don't care. Just take care of the privacy stuff. We don't want anybody getting in any trouble on anything like that. We're not trying to out anybody's story out here in the world. So just be mindful of privacy. Again, that is the phone number is 413-FOSTER-3. 413-367-8373. Thanks a lot. and We hope to hear from you soon. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation. But never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello, welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have the author of I Am Loved Right Where I Am. Okay, so we have Mr. J here who has this whole intrapersonal and betrayal trauma coach thing. Um, Tell us about that a little bit. So uh, a while ago, you know, well over a decade ago, uh, I started coaching uh, with my bachelor's degree in psychology. So I started coaching before it kind of even became cool. Uh, Nowadays, everybody's a coach doing something. But um, I started coaching with my psychology degree, um, coaching uh, premarital counseling, um, marriage counseling or marriage coaching, um, primarily in religious uh, settings, because you can, with a bachelor's degree, you could um, coach in uh, religious settings and, and institutions. Um, and uh, I did that for a while until we adopted our first child. And then I kind of pulled out of work for a little while so I could stay home. And um, then uh, I, I had uh, the loss of my father, which kind of brought up a lot of my childhood trauma. And so when I was doing a little bit of research on that, I came across uh, a betrayal trauma TED talk that I was fascinated uh, with hearing. And so I reached out to the lady who did the talk and she told me she has a online community, which is a membership only community where she coaches people that have gone through betrayal trauma. She asked me if I wanted to join the community. I said, absolutely. So I joined the community. I loved what I saw and heard and read. And I asked her if I could actually be one of the coaches in her community. So I went through her program to be certified as a betrayal trauma practitioner. And that's primarily what I do now. And um, it's helping people go through the stages and phases of um, healing or rebuilding after betrayal. 
Um, keeping in mind, a lot of people assume betrayal is a spousal betrayal, but betrayal can come in any form fashion. You could get, you can get betrayed by your boss, your neighbor, your father, your parents, your children. Um, you, we could even betray ourselves. How many times have you heard people say, you know, I've exercised and I meditated and I did all my medit, you know, all the smoothies and I was still diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, you could still think, geez, my body betrayed me or, or my creator betrayed me. So betrayal can come in any um, form and, and fashion and uh, betrayal has its own unique set of circumstances other than say non-betrayal trauma. Well, and you also mentioned uh, that you were a foster parent for a number of years as well, right? Yeah, we got into the foster program and probably did it for about five or six years. Um, uh, had some wonderful experiences, certainly had some challenging experiences. Um, one of our children was adopted through the foster program. Um, uh, yeah, so so we've had uh, <laughs> quite the roller coaster with fostering. Well, anytime you hear somebody talk about um, trauma and fostering, I... I'm just going to assume that you know a decent amount about trauma because even if you didn't, if you're a dummy like me who went to went to college like over a decade ago and took classes in maybe IT, it doesn't mean that you didn't get, have to get like an experiential PhD in trauma for sure. Uh, that, that's part of what, what we've learned the hard way um, because when we first started doing this, nobody was really talking about that a whole lot. And nowadays, it's it's pretty common to hear people talk about that because it's a really big part of this. So can you tell us a little bit about how some of that, that head knowledge and, and probably even heart knowledge over time in your experience as, a, as somebody who's working with people and helping people work through betrayals and, and that sort of thing has helped you become a foster parent and, and what that did as you walked through that? Um, you know, certainly. I think, uh, I think everybody that goes into foster parenting um, uh, wants to absolutely be sensitive, wants to come to the table with, you know, patience and compassion um, and, and, um, and, and just simply do your best. You know, you, as the majority of people know that went through the foster system, there are classes you take and, you know, things like that, but very little prepares you for some of the cases that you might be, um, you might take on. Um, so, you know, probably I think a lot of my trauma, uh, education has helped me to be honest with you, maybe just be a little more creative. Um, we had a little girl come in one time, um, and they did not let us know that she was, uh, sexually violated from with the previous foster home. Uh, so they did not let us know that. And when I went to give her, she was, I think three or four. When I went to give her a bath, she just lost it. She just lost it. And I was clueless because, you know, this was one of our first uh, um, uh, sibling groups uh, cases. And um, I had no clue what was going on. And um, so uh, so she was screaming for her sister, her older sister to come in. And, you know, so long story short, I just told her, I said, listen, I'm going to put a blindfold on. And I actually put a blindfold on. And I said, I want you to, I, I want you to just take my hands and help me um, take off your uh, clothes. And then, and then you can turn around and tell me when you're ready. And I'm just going to put you in the bathtub. That's all. And then after that, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to. Unfortunately, even though she was close with her older sister uh, by foster 
regulations, the older sister could not be in the bathroom with her. So there was a lot of things to kind of navigate. Anyways, so when I had her in the bathtub, I just put a lot of soap in the bathtub. And then um, I told her, I said, pretend sharks, pretend you're a minnow and, or a dolphin and sharks are coming after you. Because what I wanted her to do was kind of kick the water so hard that, you know, kind of cleaned herself because she didn't know how to clean herself. And certainly I was going to keep my promise to, um, to not put my hands on her to help her wash or anything. So um, anyways, long story short, after, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, it got to a point where, you know, we were in the bathroom, she was coming in there, holding her arms up for me to take her shirt off and she could care less because I built that trust. So I think it just really um, uh, getting creative and really uh, having patience to build that trust over time is crucial. Yeah, that trust is a difficult one to build a lot of times, you know, not every, not every child is willing to do that you know, depending on their level of violation. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and it's individualized with every child um, and with every um, with every case and situation, because, you know, as you may or may not know, something could even trigger that child, the look on somebody's face, the smell of somebody's cologne or perfume, um, their words, their behavior. So like every situation is so ridiculously unique. Um, you know, fostering doesn't necessarily come with a handbook. And even if it did, it wouldn't cover your unique situation. We had a 19 year old, I'm sorry, 18 year old foster kid here. Um, and uh, okay, I apologize. He was 17, about a month away from being 18. And the he got here. And the protocol is he has to see a doctor within like 48 hours of them being placed in your home, uh, you know, through the foster system. Well, the night he was here, he got a stomach bug. So it was two o'clock in the morning. He's got his shirt off, hugging the toilet, getting sick. I'm calling the, 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 um, the uh, foster program, which it's two o'clock in the morning, nobody's answering. I'm calling the, um, the doctor's office and they said, well, we can't see him necessarily because he didn't go through the foster doctor program. So, so I, we don't know, you know, what type of release he needs, whatever. I was in such a conundrum. This was never, you know, whatever. I finally got to the point where I, where this poor kid was just, I mean, he was 17 and a half and crying, bear hugging the toilet. I said, you know what? I don't, I, I don't care what the ramifications are. I'm taking him to the doctor. I did take him to the hospital and, um, and come to find out he had like the stomach flu and he was dehydrated and what have you. And um, because of that, actually the foster program changed their protocol to, um, to, to make exceptions in certain cases. Because So like I said, even if it does come with a handbook, it doesn't come with every unique situation in that handbook. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's one of the things we've learned is every one of these kids comes from such a different place. You have no idea who's walking into your house. No idea. We've had um, we've had brand new little ones show up with very little trauma, who were just happy. I mean, I'm thinking thinking baby Carl here, right? <laughs> he was a happy little camper, happiest baby you've ever met in your life. Like, it's I mean, well, pretty close, anyways. But <laughs> Frankie might have been happier, but uh, <laughs> you know, just super easy. Like, all you had to do was pick him up, and and you had a smile that brightened any room, and like that one was super easy. I and mean, we look back on, on the, and Carl's, Carl's our name for him. He's not his real name, you know, mm -hmm. privacy stuff and all in place. But, you know, Carl was just a super easy kid. And then, and then we had, uh, we have a, you know, yeah. and we have to, and in order to make him feel safe 
to go swimming or anything like that. We would have to draw on his body, cover him in tattoos, and that was his armor. You know, every kid is different. Absolutely. And every child that comes through the foster care system, no fault of their own, has trauma. You know, there's trauma when you are taken away from your family. Because when you're with your family, that that's what you know. That that's your normal. Kids don't even realize that, you know, this isn't what happens at the house next door. Yeah, yeah. Even if there's trauma within their own family, it's still traumatic to go to a a, a healthy um, foster home. Um, because yeah, you know, you you know what you know. Um, you know, we have two young kids, and um, I used to. Well, our five-year-old uh, uh, doesn't remember the foster, but our our eleven-year-old does know a lot of the foster kids and, and remembers. And I used to tell him all the time, um, "Think of you being taken out of this house right now and being brought into a brand new house. The smells are different. The looks are different. The I mean, you don't you have no idea what's going on. And if you came from a house of abuse, you have no idea what's going to happen when the lights go off at night." Um, there was one, there was one little girl who, um, just insisted on sleeping with us, insisted on sleeping with us. She, she insisted, and, and that absolutely cannot happen. It would not happen and whatever. And so now we have, uh, my spouse is an attorney and his office is right outside our bedroom. And so the only thing I could come up with, and I asked the caseworker, I said, can we put a mattress in the office? It's right outside our bedroom, you know? And um, she said, yes, yes. If you, you know, if that would make her fit. And, and that's, and she wanted all the doors open and she wanted to sleep as close to us as possible. Um, You know, another thing too, is uh, we had a foster uh, kid here who loved it here. And as a matter of fact, we got along so well, you know, I have a very um, dry sense of humor. And we had a foster kid here who was 12 and he had a very dry sense of humor too. And he was such a good kid, such a respectful kid. And, you know, he'd, he'd always tell me, um, oh my gosh, I want to come live with you guys. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'll never forget when his first meal here, um, he said, where am I sitting? And I said, what do you mean? Where are you sitting? You're sitting at the table with all of us. And he said, oh, he said, cause usually all the kids sit at the little table in the corner. I was like, oh no, no, no. You're going to sit right with the family, you know, whatever. Well, when he uh, finally he was here for a couple of weeks and he was allowed to call his his biological dad and his biological dad found out that we're a, a, a same gender family and his dad absolutely caused ruckus and insisted that he be removed from the home. So, again, there's so many things that you just don't come with a handbook that you have to deal with on a case by case situation. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show. So again, there's so many things that you just don't come with a handbook that you have to deal with on a case by case situation. The people that you know, we're in the middle, middle Missouri, right? So we're in the middle of the country and I'm just going to say that that same gender thing, it's less of a thing here than it used to be. Uh, but, but it's still present. We tend to be less progressive than, than the coast for sure. I know you're over there, what upstate New York, so you're, you're you definitely live in a different a different world than we do. 
Um, but that that's a big thing for some people. Like if you were to hear that in our small little county out here, you would probably hear a lot of you'd hear the eyebrows raise. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, we could take some eyebrow raising. I have thick skin. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Loving homes for children. That's what we're doing. You know, it, it doesn't matter who our spouse is, what gender. We're creating loving homes for children. And some people let the other things get in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you know, the I don't have to tell you guys. Well, I don't know, maybe. But like the foster program is so overwhelmed and overflowing here that you have a lot of foster kids actually sleeping on sleeping blankets um, in the in the in the civic center, which is a which is the foster building downtown. There are just no homes there, there, because there's many kids coming into the foster program and not enough homes to take them in. So if they're not going to institutions or community centers. They're actually sleeping on the floor of the buildings downtown. Um, and so it is kind of sad that you'd rather have your child in some type of institution or sleeping on the floor rather than, you know, a loving family. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and you know, you, you have a little bit of say at times as a foster parent, but really, um, if a birth parent is still in the life of a child, they have a lot of weight. Um, and unfortunately, this child was removed from our house. Um, and he was very sad, very sad. And I, I, he had to have supervised telephone calls with his father. And I remember him saying, you know, hey, pops, you know, I, I, there's a big pool here and I get fed like never before. And and, you know, I, I have my own bedroom and it's huge. And, you know, he was just kept going on and the father was just screaming, I want you out of there. And I won't repeat half the things he was saying, but it was just kind of sad what he was putting in his kid's head. Yeah, it's amazing how many people, uh, you know, can can get so tied up on on their their own biases that they forget that their first goal is to take care of their family. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good indication that may be a reason why maybe the kid was in care to, in the first place. Quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, especially with the, <laughs> the verbal toxicity I was hearing through the phone. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that's so hard as a foster parent to hear because you really don't have much control over that. You know, we've had plenty of cases where visitation was so traumatic Yes. That it was heartbreaking, but legally we had to still go and you have to watch that and you have to bring that kiddo home with you afterwards. And it's heartbreaking, you know, but there's still so many rights that have to be, you know, right there that you have to abide by. Yeah. Yeah. I've had I've had kids hold my legs and scream, please don't make me go. And, and then what happens is that, and it's so out of your control, but kids don't understand policies and protocol and laws and all this other stuff. Um, so what happens is that, you know, when, when kids do come back to you and God only knows what happened while they're away, now they're looking at you like you didn't protect me when like you did all you could within your realm of, of reason and rights. <laughs> so, you know, now you got to rebuild that trust again, just for it to be broken again, next time they're mandated to go on a home visit. Yeah. Now I'm curious, um, what, what brought you guys into the foster system? What made you decide? Did you have your own journey with, with uh, adoption or foster care in your childhood? Or was it just something that you felt led to do? 
Well, so I'm going to tell you, I, um, I, my background is psychology. I've worked with kids all my life. I have a huge family. I have a huge Italian family. I have 113 uh, first cousins. So I have a huge family. Um, and I was very, you know, always around kids, always around people and families. And your daughter's adorable. I just can't stand watching her right now. I want to squeeze her. Um, anyway, um, uh, my spouse, however, uh, he's an attorney, very to the point, uh, all about logic and facts, not too much about emotions. <laughs> so when we adopted our son, which was a perfect, flawless adoption, I mean, the most amazing, perfect, flawless adoption ever. Uh, I mean, our birth mother specifically chose us because we were a two dad family. So we had the most perfect. Uh, we were in the room when our son was born. Uh, my spouse cut his cord. Two days later, we all kissed and hugged and went our separate ways. And that was the last time anybody talked with the birth mother. Uh, it was an amazing, uh, an amazing adoption. Well, four years later, we wanted to have, you know, have our son have a sibling. So uh, we moved because we were living in D.C. at the time. So we moved here to upstate New York, which is where I'm from originally. And we tried to get into the to the um, adoption agencies, but they were just moving at a glacial speed. And I didn't want to become, I didn't want my son to become a grandfather before he had a sibling. So I told my spouse, I said, why don't we keep our options open for the um, foster, for the uh, adoption agency, but let's also go into foster to adopt because I think number one, um, well, it will just have more pokers in the fire. And so, um, you know, we'll certainly help a lot of the kids that come in. A lot of the kids that need help, we have the space. I mean, we have a six bedroom house. I mean, so we have the space. We have, you know, two acres, a huge pool. We have the space to accommodate um, many children, which we did have many sibling groups, um, sometimes up to five siblings at a time in our house. But anyway, um, so he was a little apprehensive at first because he was like, well, I just have a feeling I'm going to get close to the children and then it's going to be a heartbreak when they leave. And I said, well, that's what's going to happen. Yes, <laughs> that is absolutely what's going to happen. He was like, well, I'm not ready for that. So anyways, uh, it took about 18 months to get him on board, but finally we did. Then we had to go through that, you know, 12 week program of, of the foster uh, paperwork. And, you know, it's funny because at um, one of the processes of fostering with paperwork is you have to write down every address where you ever lived. And my, I think my spouse had two addresses on his paper. That's it, just two. I had to have an additional sheet of paper. Like I moved like probably 46 times growing up. So it was ridiculous how many addresses I had. To, but anyway, um, so uh, halfway through the, um, uh, through the training, our social worker uh, was at our house to do yet another home inspection. And she said, wait a minute, if you guys are trying to adopt a baby, you, I would stop the process now. That's not going to happen. That's, you're not going to adopt a baby. That's just not going to, you might adopt, you know, five, six, seven-year-old who maybe has some attachment challenges, but you're not going to adopt a baby. We're like, okay, we're fine. Let's, you know, even if we don't adopt, it's fine. We're still going to foster because there's a need there. No problem. Anyways, what wound up happening is that we got certified in late August and early September, we got a call from the hospital saying, we have a baby girl here. She was just delivered. Her birth mother signed a waiver. She's up for adoption. If you guys want her, come get her. It was like ridiculous. We actually were in the paper for the uh, quickest adoption in, his, in, our, in our county's history. Wow. Yeah, that's... That almost never yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, we were beyond blessed. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, we, so we had a five-year-old at the time who, uh, even though he was in a bigger bedroom, his nursery was all blue, um, uh, all blue, all boy, you know, stereotypical, whatever. 
So, man, we went from the time we hung up that phone call, <laughs> within 45 minutes, that nursery went from all blue to all pink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we have lots and lots of boys, but as you can tell here, you know, we have one, uh, one super pink little girl who's, who's been hanging out with us for a minute. And, uh, yeah, we, we know that, that experience. Cause we were, we were what, like three or four days out from the phone call we got till we had till she was in our house. So yeah. So we, you know, we don't, her story's not written, you know, so that's why I still refer to her as baby girl. So, you know, she's a person, but I don't want to throw her name out there for obvious reasons, but that's quite the, quite the surprising challenge when you find out that quickly that, Hey, you're, you're on this page for this thing here. So yeah, that's, um, most of us are all told you're not going to, to see an, a newborn. You're not going to see an infant. You know, you're going to get lots of teenagers who the, you know, and they did literally the day before, um, called me about a, a teenage boy who was less than a year older than our teenage daughter. And I smiled and said, yeah, no, can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> but, oh, I mean, yeah. We have a wide age range here. I mean, we're six months um, and in the house up to 16 and, you know, three other children that are out of the home. So we currently have eight kiddos with baby girls staying with us. So I have to ask, are you guys done? Are you going to continue? You know, where, where's your heart leading you? Yeah, so um, so I think when when both of our kids started school, um, and uh, and our daughter uh, has just slight, just very slight sensory needs and issues, um, I, I I think when our kids started school and the time and attention that I wanted to give our daughter to you know for her uh, sensory needs, um, and then I was thinking of getting back into work at the same token, you know, with my with my coaching. Um, I, I think we, we said, you know what, we, we did this for about six years. I, I think we're good. The other thing too, is there's always a balance. There's a balance with so many things, but there's always a balance of showing your children the importance of helping out everyone. It's very important. I wanted to show our kids. Um, it's very important that you open up your home and you do for others and you help others, you know, at the same token. You have to be very careful the type of child you bring into your home because you need to protect the children that are in your home. And so, um, like, I became such a light sleeper. I mean, I could sleep through a bomb before. Now, in the middle of the night, if I'm in REM sleep and a pin drops in the kitchen, I'm like, who's going? what's going on? Because when you have, you know, kids in the house, you have to be extra diligent and careful that anything can happen at any point. And it could take a mere second. And, um, you know, our, our son at the time was like six and we had two other boys um, at the house that were also six. So um, I think two of them were allowed to share the same bedroom, but uh, according to the foster protocol. So, so I had to just absolutely make sure like, oh my God, 24 seven, every, an eagle eye on them. So I just figured, you know, I think after six years, I think, you know, we, we helped a lot and we did, we helped a lot of um, kids and families. And what's amazing, what is absolutely amazing is there's still some families out there too, particularly that probably once or twice a year, get back to me and say, just want to let you know, so-and-so misses you. So-and-so talks about you. Thank you for everything you did. And that's, that's, that, that's, that's great. That's a great feeling. I bet. I bet. Most of the kids that we have had in our home, uh, have been 
littler, you know, younger. Aww. So they may never remember us being a part of their life once they've left. And that's, that's okay. You know, yeah, we do have a few that, you know, I see on, on, on our Facebook and, you know, mama will reach out and say, Hey, you know, girls are doing good. And, you know, and, and that's wonderful when that can happen. You know, yeah. that that's the goal is, you know, for me as a parent, I want as many people rooting my children on as possible. You know, I want as many people in their corner. I want, you know, I want them to think the sky is the limit and that they're loved. And so when you can create that um, connection with a family and continue that, that's really wonderful. Yeah. And certainly reunification is the ultimate goal. Um, providing the 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 home life, you know, is, is healthy and stable, although that's out of your hands, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So how many kids have you had come through your home over the last over the six years that you were fostering? Oh, uh, a, a lot. You know, I, I, I can't give a number, but I mean, but, you know, we, I think because of the size of our home, we took in a lot of sibling groups. So we would have sibling groups of three, sibling groups of five, sibling groups of four. We had a lot of sibling groups. Um, uh, some older kids, um, but again, because we had younger kids, I wanted to be careful, you know, bringing the older kids, especially if I knew about any type of, uh, past. And if it was anything that I had, that I had to really be careful about with my own kids. Um, so, so I can't give you a number, but certainly in the three digits. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. So I can't give you a number, but certainly in the three digits. Oh, Wow. Wow, in six years, that's insane. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing, though, because there, it's so hard. Uh, I mean, out here in Missouri, you know, we don't have as many kids in foster care. We still have a, a very high number, but it's so hard to place siblings together. And oh, yeah. It's so important to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, you know, listen, like every system, it's broken. You know, the medical system is broken. The education system is broken. The foster care system is, is broken, too. I don't know how it is, you know, where you guys are. But like things like this, like, for instance, we had a six year old here one time who um, was a bedwetter. And I called the um, agency and I said, listen, um, I'm going to go out and, and get a um, cover for the mattress, probably some diapers. Um, you know, is there any any specific protocol for that or, you know, and do you want me to send you the receipts, um, which please trust me, we spent far more on these kids than we ever got uh, from the the state. I mean, we would buy our kids beds, dressers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it was all about their comfort, not about the little stipend that we got. But I'll never forget the agent, the foster agency said, um, no, if they're over the age of three, we don't pay for diapers. I'm thinking, what an, are you serious with that policy? I mean, are you serious? Like, I don't know why this kid is a bedwetter. It's none of my business. But the fact is, she is. 
So, so like, like seriously, you don't have a budget for diapers and you don't have a pilot. I mean, come on. How? So it's little things like that were sometimes a little frustrating. And I really think there was some wiggle room in the policy. I don't know if they're that strict where you guys are. Um, but it was kind of, it's kind of like, come on guys, I understand policies, but where's common sense. Yeah. Well, see, they took the common sense, um, here in Missouri and they filed it away and put it in a drawer <laughs> and they locked it and they lost the key. <laughs> And I'm pretty certain it's not state specific. It's in every state because yeah, we we have similar you know similar policies. Yeah, because they're not gonna you know. And, and I understand it too because you know you you mentioned and I hate that you have to mention this, but you mentioned it that look we spent way more than that stipend they send in. You know we it, because honestly, if you're doing foster care right, chances are it costs you some money. You know it costs you a lot of things. One of those things is money that it costs you to to take care of kids if you're doing it right. Um, if I, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, I think Missouri is the second lowest reimbursed state in the nation. And I want to say that it is somewhere around $250 a month. Oh, my wife just yells $236 and change as she takes the crying baby away from the microphone. <laughs> so yeah, if you, if you can raise a kid on that much money, you're doing really good and you're much better with a budget than any part of the government is at that point. You know, you don't, nobody does this stuff for, for the reasons of getting rich and as a decent human, because if you are trying to make money on this, you're not a decent human because you are not treating the kids the way they should be treated. I hate that you even had to mention that, that that's, that is part of this because it's, it's just what it is. And unfortunately the handful of people who do horrible things in the system like that, they get the most press. Typically it makes a much better, more compelling story on you know cnn or msnbc or fox or i i don't have any political leanings here guys i just want to make that really clear but you know it makes a better news story when they can then come out and talk about how this this family treated this kids horribly and they did all these horrible things and they got rich off of it and they're taking these vacations and and amanda looks at me like what vacation were we supposed to be using all this money for a vacation because we ain't had one in a minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the vacation you can go on with the stipend is to your local dollar store. But, um, you know, like even things like I told you, we had a, uh, a senior here, high school senior, um, who was 17, very close to being 18. Well, when he was about to graduate, he, he, we wanted to bring him to a very nice dinner. And when I say very nice dinner, I mean very nice dinner. We're, the the foster program was not going to compensate us those couple hundred dollars we spent on that nice dinner. And that's something you do when somebody graduates high school that you, you, you celebrate, you know, with some type of celebration. He also wanted to invite two of his closest friends. So you're talking, you know, a decent chunk of money for a nice dinner for a high school student and two of his best friends. You're not going to get a dollar back from the state for that. And how about the, the suit that he wanted to wear um, to his um, graduations and to these dances at school. Now, granted, we never had to buy him a suit, but we did let him borrow our suits. But because he was a smoker, we had to go and get them cleaned. That cleaning bill wasn't reimbursed. So there's just things that, you know, you, you don't think about, um, nobody thinks about that, you know, absolutely. I mean, uh, we brought that kid to more colleges, um, you know, to, for, for, to, to say, okay, introduce him to the college life. We brought that kid to more colleges and probably spent more money in gas <laughs> alone than anything we got in return. So, um, so yeah, are there people that do the absolute bare minimum and maybe there is some money to be made? 
Yeah, 100%. There are, um, especially if you live in a state where the reimbursement's a little higher. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I got to put my head on the pillow at night. And, um, and that, that's not something that would sit well with me in any capacity. Yeah. A while back, we were uh, talking with, um, with uh, a lady who had talked about a going to a conference. It was a foster conference. And she was talking with one of the other people there. And this woman told her, oh, no, what you need to do is you need to go get the kid rated as this and that, and they'll up the money, and then and you can get more money this way. And, and she's basically giving her all the hacks on how to be the foster parent that nobody wants to be a foster parent in, in our, the system. you know. And it, it was one of those things. You're just like, holy crap. Yeah, those people do exist. And sometimes we forget that a little bit. But it is yeah. super important that people realize that there are good people out there like you guys who, who go, hey, look, you know, We've been financially blessed in this world enough that I can help other kids, regardless if it costs me money. Because let's be honest, is anything in life worthwhile, you know, free? It all costs you something. And, and I just want to say this, because I don't want anybody to feel guilt or shame or bad or anything if they're in the foster care system and, and that stipend helps them out tremendously, because because um, I'm sure it does to some people and I'm sure it's helpful and, and it should be. Um, it, my point is that, that, that shouldn't be the motivation. Um, it, if, if you rely on that money and it helps wonderful, no shame at all. It just shouldn't be your motivation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You should be one. If you want to be part of this group, if you want to be part of the fraternity of crazy people who foster kids, you should be doing it because you want to help kids, not because it's a, a, a money-making endeavor. hundred percent. I agree with you. So yeah, that, that's, I, I, anytime I even think about that thought, I tend to mention that to people because I have been asked so many times by people who I don't think they realize the subtext of their question when they ask it. Cause it's people I know who, who I have a relationship with who would say something like, well, they pay pretty good for foster care. Don't they? I'm like, well, <laughs> from what I remember doing a little research a while back, um, for something that I was looking at the state of Illinois actually has a pretty sizable stipend. Really? Uh, we're, we're in the state of Missouri <laughs> and we do not period. We do not. I mean, the foster system right now is dying because it can't keep caseworkers in because the system doesn't pay them enough money to do that. I mean, seriously, I, I looked at, at it at one point and I want to say that they're paying 30,000, 30 something thousand dollars a year to somebody who went to school and spent 30 or $40,000 on the education to become a caseworker. And I'm like, Wow. You know, that so shows the state's priorities in a lot of places. And it's not just Missouri. I'm not just bagging on, on our state. So many states are that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know what Illinois does. Um, and I'm glad they do that because, you know, think about it. When somebody comes into your home, there's so much that's not that's not even thought of. I mean, you know, when we have kids here, that's extra electricity, it's extra heat, lights and gas, it's extra laundry detergent. It's, it's, it's you know, it's extra stuff that you, I mean, you could, you could, I guess you could itemize it and break it down, you know, if you're that anal, whatever, but there's just so many things that, I mean, and, and by the way, I mean, even just the, um, when we had the teenager here, holy cow talk about snacks and food and things like that the, there's there's no teenage snack rate 
There's just, you know, whatever it is. So, um, so there's things that people don't think about, you know, at all. But yes, there are those cases, maybe if you're in certain states where the stipend is decent, and you have the kid that doesn't have much needs, or maybe you have that kid that's borderline, you get an extra little something stipend, and you don't have to do much more. I'm sure there are those cases that fall through the crack, crack and people do, you know, uh, come out great financially. But again, that shouldn't be your motivation. Um, because because it will reflect in the child's experience in your home. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to take care of kids who aren't from hard places to help build a uh, to help build an environment where a kid can begin to heal from some trauma that hopefully you had no part in causing. Absolutely, and and you know, um, and and it's not nothing's the kid's fault. You know, the 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 traumatic home that kids come from, it's not their fault. The ridiculous policies that the foster system has, it's not the kid's fault. The lack of the decent stipend or support you get from, you know, whatever, it's not the kid's fault. And I think you have to keep that in mind is that, you know, it's, it's, it's not the kid's fault. And when, when kids leave your home, if you just know that, you know what, no matter what, for the rest of their life, I planted a seed, you don't know the benefits that their life and even the descendants of that child uh, are going to benefit from because of the seeds you planted. Oh yeah, yeah. I hate to say this with Amanda off taking baby in the other room because it might gain me a brownie point or two here, but I'll tell you the <laughs> truth. There was an old guy, Ray Finley. Um, he, he was in the church that, that I grew up in and um, where I had lots of issues with that particular group of folks, Ray was a good man he still is a good man, very old guy now, but I remember him talking to a bunch of us kids one day. And I think the topic was that they were talking about marriage. And he says, you know, guys, what I want you to know is, is if you can find another, another person in this life that you can live without, do it. If you, when you find the person that you can't live without, that's the person you marry. And that one little piece of advice I'm going to say I'm not going to run across names because I don't want anybody getting mad at me. I don't know if any of them listen, but there was a handful of girls' names in my life that I'm glad I learned to live without. <laughs> I'm just glad I learned to live without them. And when I found my wife, like I knew, I knew, like that thought went through my head. Okay, I know what I'm doing now. And all that stemmed out of, out of an older guy who spoke some truth and planted a seed in my heart 20 years prior and helped me to, to walk forward and just change my life forever. Because I was that kid who probably would have ended up with the first girl I, I though that would say yes, instead of the right person. And it took me a long time to find that right person. But those are the seeds that you can plant in this, in this world. Absolutely. And those are wonderful seeds. Unfortunately, there's also the opposite seeds that some people plant <laughs> that affect and jade and hurt um, people for a lifetime as well, which has subsequent, you know, uh, negative ramifications throughout generations as well. But um, no, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the nicest things I think uh, we had uh, a fourteen year old kid come in one time, and he was from uh, uh, a Christian family. Um, we're also a Christian family. We're very very big. Bible believing, you know, church going family. Um, I mean, we're not zealots. Our head is not so much in the clouds. We don't know what's going on on earth, but we, we do eat, live and breathe the Bible. And um, I'll never forget the foster kid one time told me, you know, I was born and raised in a Christian family, but I never know, knew what true Christianity was until I, until I lived here. 
And that was probably the best compliment a child could ever give. So, so in going with what we're talking about, I'm so glad that we planted some seeds um, to, to, to give him a source to fall back onto um, in time of need in life. Because there will be times in, in life when you need a, a strong source. And I'm glad that we planted some seeds where he can say like, you know what? Um, I remember A, B, and C, and I'm going to rely on this. That's going to be my source. Yeah, that's, that's a huge thing for a kid, especially, especially when you get to those teen kids, when they can see that and realize that, and you can speak into the, the teenage mind, because as we all know, teenagers are a little insane some days. Oh yeah. I say that with the risk of my daughter being standing outside my door. She just poked <laughs> her head in a moment ago and she is She's a full-blown teenager. Lordy. She's a great kid. I, I don't have any complaints, but she's a teenager. She can be crazy sometimes. And, and having those voices in your head that, that said positive, helpful, loving things, you know, that's, that's what will, will make a lot of difference in a kid's life. Because one of the things I had a guy tell me, and I think it's a hundred percent true is that voice in, in your head that has all that negative self-talk and, you know, he probably sounds different in your head than mine, but I bet you it sounds a whole lot like the people that, that raised us. All those negative voices. We, we have that responsibility of writing the child's inner critic's voice. And I can't count how many times I've heard something that came out of my childhood somewhere, and I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I just even thought that. Like that came out of that one person who said that one thing when I was a kid that hurt me so much, and that's where it came from. And being able to to write that voice in an entirely different way, especially, I mean, the, the idea that somebody can, can come to you and say to your face that I never knew what Christian Christians were until I met you. That's huge, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they, there's an old saying out there with, with what you were just saying is when you are raising your children, you're also helping to raise your grandchildren. Because, you know, we raise our kids a certain way and kids come into this world, you know, on a, on a blank slate for the most part. And what we teach them is going to be their guidance. And that's how they're going to raise their kids. And unfortunately, I wish I could say I was the best parent, but there's been plenty of times I fell short, plenty of times I fell short. And I'm sure that I'm going to see it um, uh, come, you know, come out with my kids raising their, my grandchildren. Um, <clears throat> but um but you know, parenting is is trial and error, and um, you 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 do the best you can. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, real quickly, I'll tell you one of the quick lessons I just told our son a couple months ago. Um, you know, he's he's he'll be eleven in, in about a month, and um, for probably the last year, I was telling him, I said, you know, buddy, you're soon to approach puberty, and I was talking to him all about puberty talking to him all about puberty because I want him, first of all, I want him to hear it from me first before the schools. And then second of all, um, I wanted him to just understand that it's everything's natural, whatever. Well, do you know, Jason, recently I sat my son down and I said, you know, Luke, uh, and that is his name. I said, you know, Luke, um, I'm going to tell you something. I apologize for months. I've been talking to you about the physical manifestations of puberty but I've left out all the emotional, the mental, the psychological, and that's probably more important than hair under your arms. So I said, you know, sometimes if out of the blue, you all of a sudden feel like you're in a lull or a depression hits you temporarily, or you, you have a mood, or you're wondering why you're thinking the way you are feeling. 
it's because your amygdala, which is the emotional part of your brain, is growing at twice the rate of your frontal cortex, which is your logic side. So I wanted to tell him a little bit more about the emotional aspects of puberty because fine, everybody gets hair under their arms and on their chest and so forth. And that's great, fine and dandy. But when a kid is going through all of these moods and these mood swings and these emotions, and they don't understand why they start to internalize and personalize, and it starts to affect who they are. And the teen years are already difficult, you know, having pizza face and kids making fun of you and all this other stuff. So I just wanted to tell him, you know what, there's far more to puberty than just hair under your arms and on your chest. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's funny you mentioned that just the other day I had a, my first conversation with a about to be nine-year-old about just kind of like, Hey, things are going to change in, in the future. Like there's, we're always growing and just kind of beginning that conversation because it's so important to, to know that, you know, my, I let you in on a little secret and I don't know, I don't think I've ever shared this on the podcast before. Um, and I'll share it with Amanda not here. Cause she has a hard time not laughing at me when I tell this story, but <laughs> I never had the birds and bees conversation with my dad. My dad wouldn't, I was going to talk about that. That wasn't his thing. So the birds and bees conversation that happened in my house growing up involved my mom and I sitting in my room and she had two socks that she brought in to create a model, if you will. And it lasted about 30 seconds. And you can only imagine just how traumatized my poor young brain was trying to figure, I'm like, holy like what just happened and mom if you listen to this episode don't get too mad at me but <laughs> the truth is it's like they were doing the best they could with what they had at the time and i get that i bet good money neither one of them had a very healthy talk with their parents either and yeah. we're trying to change that yeah you know two things uh and i always say because i tell my spouse his name's eric i say eric all the time because he, he he grew up in an extremely conservative uh uh, well, Asian family. And, and, and they just, I don't think he ever heard his parents say, but before. Um, and so sex talk conversation is just absolutely, it's a complete 100% discomfort. And one of the things I say is, listen, even if, which by the way, Jason, I think, you know, this, we have to get out of the mentality of having quote the talk with our kids. I think it should be an evolving conversation always. Amen. I just talked with Luke yesterday, my 10 and a half year old about, uh, periods and menstrual cycles. Like we got, I think we got to get out of the habit of, okay, son, I think it's time we sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee. And let me tell you about the birds and the bees. No, this should be an evolving conversation. <clears throat> and much more important than that, your children need to see your comfort level, which is hard because our generation, we, we didn't have that conversation. We learned about it on the streets or in school or you know, what have you. So, um, so, I mean, I happen to be very, very comfortable with my background talking about this, probably more comfortable than I should be, but, but um, our kids are absolutely gonna sense our energy level, the quiver in our voice, the lack of eye contact, and then it's gonna send a message of you know, shame or discomfort with them. So we gotta be very careful. And number one, not just having the talk, number one. And then number two, being so confident in our own sexuality and knowledge and all this other stuff that we just talk about it like we're talking about you know, watering the garden and the tomatoes and the bananas. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that we're very intentional about about using 
biologically correct terminology with our kids yes. because yes. you know we've seen some of the outcroppings of of not having done that and and so the other day baby girl was needed a diaper change and, and our youngest boy was running around like a maniac because well he's a maniac we love him but he's a maniac and he runs through the room as my wife is changing changing a diaper and all of a sudden he goes oh, mommy oh no she goes what he said baby ba baby girl mind you baby's something happened to her penis mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's one of those moments like you just kind of caught off guard and she's like oh no, no no buddy here's the thing like there this is part of the difference between boys and girls boys have a penis girls have a vagina and it was a conversation that she wasn't really expecting obviously in that moment it just kind of jumped up but it's the beginning of that conversation like hey there's some there's some stuff we're going to talk about some stuff over time we're going to discuss how this is different, but just as part of conversation. And I like that idea, the ever evolving conversation, it just doesn't really end. I mean, I guess at some point it ends because somewhere, um, somewhere in my late teen years, my parents and I stopped discussing things around biology and sex and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and my son and I stopped talking about those things too, because once he was married, like he's got this stuff figured out to the best of my ability. I don't need to give him any more advice on the biological side of it. I'll talk to him about the emotional side of it and all that other stuff. But, but yeah, it's, it was one of those moments of where it's like, yeah, this is just a conversation that every parent should be having with their kids from the beginning, you know, obviously age, age appropriate, because we're not going to step off into the, like any of the, the real physical side of it other than, Hey, that we're just different. And it's, it's so healthy to do that as opposed to like just hiding the fact that, you know, you kind of know that boys and girls are different and that's it. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, um, what studies show is best is when a child a asks you a question, um, you don't go above and beyond and you don't reduce it. You simply answer the question um, just like you're answering, you know, what do you want for lunch? And if they have more questions, you have more answers, but that's it. You don't go above and beyond and you don't reduce it. You just answer the question as is. Uh, I, I, I ended our my little chat with Luke yesterday by saying, buddy, listen, I understand there's going to be times you might be uncomfortable coming to Papa asking me some questions, but I'd much rather, and, and I, I said, I'll tell you what, let's make each other a promise. You promise you'll come to me with any information that you have instead of hearing it from your friends, and I promise to never lie to you about that information. So, um, cause I don't want him to get hit. I mean, holy cow, there's so many myths out there and mistruths and, oh, <laughs> and yeah. fallacies. And, um, and you know, I heard them growing up, uh, and, and it really makes people do things, uh, that they shouldn't do prematurely. Um, and simply because of a lack of information. Yeah. And all I can say is how lucky are your children that they're being raised by at least one parent who has knowledge and experience in that psychology place, who knows how to help people, who's who's taken that time to educate yourself to where you can have those conversations in a healthy way. And I think a lot of us weren't raised that way. And and so we don't even have the, the don't know that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I even, um, I, I actually just last week, I wrote to my child's, because um, he's in fifth grade, and I, in, in the spring, they're going to have the sex ed class. So we, we do have the option to pull them out. I don't think we're going to, I think we're going to let them go ahead and have that sex ed class. But I did write to the teacher and I said, could you send me your, um, uh, the outline of what's going to be taught? Not, not that I'm going to challenge it at all, 
but just because I'm going to go ahead and um, have a conversation with my son on anything he may or may not know. Uh, so, so he's comfortable with that material before he walks into the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. It's one that, that, you know, when our older kids were, were younger, we never even thought about that to be fair and honest. We, we have, we have kind of three generations of kids. We have the bigs, they're all in their twenties. The middles are teenagers and the littles are all, you know, on the younger end. And what that's given us is this distinct ability to really see where we messed up on the first go round and on the oh, second yeah. go round. And I always laugh and say, these, these, these young ones, they don't know how good they're going to have it. We're going to be like old pros because most of us don't, we, we find out later how we messed up. And, and now it's, it's really interesting to have a conversation with, I had one just the other day with my 21 year old son and, and he, he opened up about some stuff from, from when he was a kid and how this affected him or that affected him. And, and it gave us some talking points. And for me, it's great education. Go, Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should be focused on some of that. Pay attention to that as these, these other kids come through this situation. And it's, it's really beneficial for us. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to suggest that you make sure you get you guys at least like six more kids. <laughs> you know something? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, and I hope I don't offend you or anybody listening. I love my kids like you would not believe. And my little girl is my heart. But girls are from a whole nother planet. Oh my Lord. Like, like if, if my daughter was my first, she probably would have been my last because like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is gender specific or child specific, but like, you know, when my son was younger, he would just say, you know, Hey, daddy or papa, I want a drink. That's it. That's it. We'd give him a drink case closed with our daughter. She wants the drink she wants in the cup. She wants it with the top on it from who she wants to pour it at the specific amount she wants poured. I mean, like, holy cow, are you serious? You're thirsty, drink, end of story. <laughs> hey, you're raising a woman who knows what she wants. And that's great. If I, so holy, if I can hold on to, uh, <laughs> if I can hold on to my patience until then, she'll turn out hopefully decent. <laughs> she recently yeah. got upset with me because I twisted the cap on her cup the wrong way. And I told her, I said, Sylvia, I, I'm left-handed. I can't put the top on with my right hand. I'm left-handed. I mean, I can, but I'm going to look awkward. <laughs> She's like, That's not how you put on a top. I said, well, it's how a left-handed person puts on a top. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you just can't argue with a, with a kid of that age, right? It's one of the things I've talked with about my daughter a lot. Um, you know, the, my 14 year old daughter is that, Hey, do you realize you're trying to argue with a four-year-old? You can't win an argument with a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying. Yeah, no, their their world is their world, and it's the world they live in. And the world they live in, everybody's right-handed, or at least yes. my daughter. Yeah, just take, take her to the mirror and say, watch me watch me in the mirror. I'll do it right that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's so true, and, and it speaks back to that uniqueness of every child. Every kid has a different experience. They have a different life. They have different traumas. They have different, you know, different things they consider wins or victories. And it's up to us to figure out how to help them navigate through those hard places and get at the end of it, hopefully to a place where they're a responsible, healthy human being. Yes, that, that is the goal. <laughs> and, and try not to let all so much of the trauma that you've experienced in your adulthood spill out over your kids. Um, 
when you're parenting. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing that Amanda and I talk a lot about because she had a very traumatic childhood. And so sometimes in our home, you know, all, almost all of our kids have, have a pretty healthy trauma story. I mean, there's like murder and drugs and addiction and kid addiction, you know, mm -hmm. newborn, uh, like there's a lot of deep trauma in that comes into our house. And some days we, we keep it neatly put on the shelf where it belongs. And some days we just dump the shelf over and knock it all on the floor and we all get to wallow around in it a little bit. And that gets to be challenging sometimes if as an adult, you don't take the time to figure that out. And so I'm curious, you know, for you, because I assume through the, through the process of, of the whole psychology education thing, you probably have done some of your own work, right? You mean on a personal level? Yeah. On a personal level. Oh Lord. First of all, absolutely. And second of all, that never ends. Um, uh, so yes, I mean, I've spent decades, uh, you know, journaling, praying, personal reflection, reading my own therapy. Um, and, and that, and that's, that your own personal growth is like going to the gym. You, like, you, you know, you, you, you gotta go, you know, even if you are at a point where you're relatively healthy and you're fit, you gotta go to maintain. So, um, you know, I still journal to this day. I still obviously pray to this day. Um, there's things that you have to do just to maintain your sanity, because if not, um, we have defaults. Um, you know, I remember probably, and this happened just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I really lost it with my son. He was, it was just one of those days, just one of those days. And I lost it with my son. Now I moved out. I moved out when I was 14 years old. I had my own apartment. I quit school in sixth grade, I had to get jobs to pay rent. And my son's going on 11 years old. And he was just, he just, he was constantly complaining about his doing, I call them contributions. I don't call them chores. I call them contributions. And um, he was like, nobody my age does any contributions. My friends just play all day. And first of all, that's not true. But um, <clears throat> he was just arguing me to the point where I just, I, 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 blew up. And I said, do you realize I was virtually paying rent at your age? What are you talking, you know, like, do you realize how blessed you are in life? So yeah, if you don't heal the trauma of your past, you will unnecessarily bleed on everybody who doesn't deserve it in your future. Well, first off, I want to tell you, you're wrong that those kids do not do that kind of stuff. Trust me, all my kids have told me their friends don't do them either. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying every child does chores. Well, I'm, like I said, I call them contributions, but yeah, but, um, but you know, when kids go to school and they're like, oh, I don't do this and I don't do that. And I have this kind of game and I play all day that kids don't share how they do chores and contributions. So other kids don't realize that they do them, but all kids do chores and contributions. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of a, reminds us of how we, we've structured our lives. You, you look at Facebook or Instagram and, and see all the lovely filters and, and all the highlight reels that people put up there. And, and we look at someone else's life and it looks like theirs is so much better than mine. Well, listen, I, I was, I just spoke at a school recently. And one of the things I talked about was the dangers of comparison on social media, because anxiety and, and depression has skyrocketed, especially during this pandemic, because um, people, the, the rates of watching being on social media have skyrocketed, and especially teens. Um, they look at they, they listen, you and I can maybe look at Facebook and we can say, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand you're on vacation right now. You're posting pictures of all the beauty. But what happens in between these pictures you know, when, when you're losing patience with your kids? You know, so we can we can 
contextualize all that. Teens, they just say, you know, they're comparing their dinner with what's on Facebook. They're comparing their homes and their lives and their vacations and their bodies. Um, and this increases anxiety and stress and depression and tension and stuff. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, social media is wonderful if you could get a hold of it. But once it gets a hold of you, then it becomes dangerous. Amen to that. Amen to that. Because social media is one of those things we grew up without. And I think I'm thankful for that. Yes. It's yes. a cool place yeah. to connect with people from your past or, or connect with people who family who lives a distance away. But if you use it for uh, for the comparison, um, the, the for the, the whole reason of comparing your life to others, man, man, it's just it's going to make you feel miserable the whole time. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I heard, and I thought this was great, it's like social media is wonderful because it brings people that are far close. However, it also brings people that are close far because so many times we'll have family come over and these are family that live out of the state and out of the country. And after the hours of how are you doing, pats on the back, miss you, what's going on? Everybody's in the living room scrolling their phones. So, yeah, yeah, social media can bring people that are far close together, no doubt, but it can also bring family that are close together further apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jay, I'm glad you came in here today to tell your story because you, you guys have a, an incredible story uh, to tell about a lot of kids. I thought we had a lot of kids, but a lot of kids that you've been able to help and can't imagine the number of, of journeys that you guys have affected in what that that little piece of legacy will be for you guys you know a hundred years after you're gone that the world will be different because people like you exist and i just want to thank you for taking your time and telling your story and uh helping other people see what this whole thing really is about thank you jason and i appreciate you giving me uh the time on your platform and i just want to say if anybody's contemplating going into the foster program you have such a tremendous amount of growth, personal growth, um, and appreciation and understanding for the, um, for the world around you. And you're absolutely right. You know, I always say that we should try to live not for our first life, but for our second life. And what I mean by that is um, our second life is the life of all of, of, of it's what's coming to fruition from living our previous life. So, you know, all the kids that you benefited, all the stories that you did, everything that you did in this life, the live for the life that of the benefits of your second life, which is, which is everything you left behind, the legacies, the traditions, the, the affirmations, yada, yada. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Okay. Foster care nation. Thank you for listening to Jay's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget we have an account over at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. <laughs> 
Hey, Papa, guess what? What? I need new clothes. Baby needs new clothes. Where do you think we could go find some cool designs to, from to wear? Oh, I think I have an idea. I mean, we've got some awesome designs for people to wear. Oh, I didn't think about that. You go over to our website. What is that one again? It's um, tpublic.com slash foster care nation. Yeah, I think we got t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies and sweatshirts and baby any- onesies. They don't have any dad size onesies there, do they? Mm, I don't think so. But the baby onesies are super adorable. Yeah, they are. And we got some kids hoodies and, and short sleeve t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts. Maybe we should go over there and check it out. Where's that again? It's over at Tee Public, right? Yeah. Foster Care Nation? Yeah. T-E-E com slash Foster Care Nation. 